You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Karina. Today's word is an acronym, Mm -hmm. BIPOC. It stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And it's an umbrella term to group racialized people, highlighting the experiences of Black and Indigenous people in particular. I didn't know a lot about this word when we started researching, but I feel like we've been using it in Canada for a few years now, and more and more this year in particular, as we've seen protests against police brutality and systemic racism across North America and beyond. Yeah, and it's caused a lot of confusion. Like, I've seen people online thinking BIPOC stands for Black and Indigenous People of Color, like like a label for only those two groups, as opposed Mm. to Black, comma, Indigenous, comma, and people of color. I've also seen people think that it means that like that label is applied to a person who is both black and indigenous. I've also seen people on Twitter mention they thought it was like bi, like bisexual people of color. Oh, yeah. Or some people think it's a misspelling of biopic. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I did some Twitter mining in preparation for this episode, and I feel like a good 50% of the uses of BIPOC there are people who are just trying to say biopic. (laughs) So clearly people have had questions about this, and so did we, so we wanted to dig in. Right. BIPOC obviously is based on the acronym POC, People of Color. And this term is older than you might think, although its meaning has changed. So according to the Oxford English Dictionary, person of color comes from the French Jean de couleur or Jean de couleur libre. This is a term that was used in France's West Indian colonies before abolition in the 18th century, and it referred usually to free, mixed-race people. And then in 1797, a census of what is now Haiti described a class of people of color who were also mixed-race. Of course, the word color or colored could fill its own entire episode. Yeah. (laughs) But basically, the expression people of color fell out of common use for over a 100 years. At the March on Washington in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. actually referred to citizens of color in his address. But people of color didn't really pick up steam until the 70s. Uh, One notable example is the 1977 National Women's Conference, when a group of black women put together a proposal called the Black Women's Agenda. And other racialized women wanted to be included, so they changed the designation to women of color, an expression that we still use to this day. Right. So POC was this efficient way to signal solidarity between Black people, Asian people, Indigenous people, Latinx people, anyone not white altogether. Yeah. And before that, mainstream alternatives were words like non-white or minority, words that all center whiteness, right? So it was a really powerful shift to actually name race in that way. Right. It's not the absence of whiteness. It is its its own thing in its own right. Right. And I, I know I kind of alluded to it before, but it's probably important to note that people of color and colored people are very different terms. Yeah. <laughs> very different. Um, nowadays, colored people is obviously considered like a derogatory phrase, but its roots run really deep. I mean, I've even had conversations with people in recent years where they've conflated those terms and they have, like you say, very different histories. Yeah, you you really can't get that wording wrong. (laughs) No. So nowadays we have POC, but like with any word that groups people together, there are issues. 
Paige Gallette, a queer Black artist and organizer who's from Ontario but now lives in the Yukon, told me about her feelings towards POC. You know, it, it groups us together, which is fun and great because, you know, it feels like we're we're together. We're a family. It's nice. But I've also heard that when people refer to me as a person of color, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm Black. So while POC is a useful term to refer to groups who have all been impacted by white supremacy, there have been so many cases where POC is used really lazily or like as a sub in when people are uncomfortable saying the word black or any other more specific word. Like if you're talking about something that affects one group more than others, like police brutality or immigration bans or internment camps, POC ends up being way too broad. Yeah, a much less serious example of that was um, after Black Panther came out, there was a slew of response articles and reviews that talked about, like, Black Panther is a win for people of color. And it's like, just say Black if you mean Black. It's like in the title of the movie. (laughs) Diverse Panther. (laughs) Or if you think of the BLM movement, like POC Lives Matter, it's not the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't have the same punch. I remember just being, you know, having this conversation with my mom, like, am I Afro-Canadian? Am I African-Canadian? Am I Caribbean? Am I, like, Afro-American? Like, what am I? Um, And moving on to now, being able to just say what was before seen as the B word, which is Black. The B word is exactly right. I think that white people are often just plain freaked out by how to refer to Black people in a way that doesn't uh, cause offense. It makes me think of that old but still accurate joke. I guess it's not a joke, but like more of a scenario we all know about where like a white person is in a department store and a black salesperson helps them and walks away. And then they get asked who was helping them and they're terrified to say like, oh, it was that black woman over there. <laughs> because calling someone black is somehow indelicate. Like they're like, oh, it was... It was a woman um, with dark eyes, and she was uh, tall, and she had short hair. Like, you know, just like this painful <sighs> stepping around, saying it. Or or my absolute favorite is I've seen, I've seen people just drop to a whisper. Like, it was, um, she was black. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, thinking it's indelicate to say black when someone is black, essentially implies that black is a pejorative and signals, at best, uh, an unfamiliarity or a disconnect with black people and culture. Right. But to be charitable, it's also coming from a fear of maybe implying that their being black is the only noticeable thing about them, which unfortunately in a lot of situations is true just based on like lack of representation. And for so long, even naming race at all was considered a kind of faux pas. Mm-hmm. And I think as Paige alluded to, I think a lot of people still find the term African-American sort of softer or less scary than just saying black, because for a long time it was sort of the safe, maybe politically correct term. But it's really starting to fall out of favor. It would be weird if someone in our generation used it these days, I think. Yeah, I yeah I agree. Then there's also Afro-Canadian in Canada, like Paige said, though you don't hear that that much. Yeah. African-American, I think, is so embedded in North American culture as the default word for black people that I've heard Canadian people referring to black people in Canada as African-American. 
But we're we're talking about moving from less to more specific, right? The reality is that not every black person you see is descended from enslaved Africans. Neither are they all American, obviously. And there's a larger and much more complex diaspora going on. And as Paige says, even black or indigenous, even these words that are more specific, still represent a huge diversity of experiences and mm-hmm. histories. I remember when I was in Toronto in 2014, 2015, and even 2016, there were the local organizers, um, Black organizers, Black educators uh, were talking about anti-Blackness. And I remember media not even talking about it. I remember doing interviews with media where I would say anti-Blackness and then uh, I would look at the newspaper and it would say Paige Gallette talked about racism. It's like, no, I wasn't talking about racism. I was pinpointing exactly what is happening. I was I was giving you the language, the strong language. And so now it's really funny that everybody's talking about anti-Black racism. We're addressing it um, and by addressing it, we're able to recognize it and fix it and move on. I say move on. I know we're never going to move on tomorrow. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We're able to to move in a certain direction. I hope that with the term BIPOC, we will be able to do just that. So to add some nuance to POC, Black and Indigenous are added to make BIPOC in around 2013, most sources say. And the idea is to highlight, like we said, unique experiences of Black and Indigenous people under white supremacy and colonialism. And, like, I should add that when I say unique experiences, I mean the history of colonialism, but also the fact that Black and Indigenous peoples have unique relationships to systemic racism. For example, both groups are overrepresented in Canada in our prison system by police brutality, experience medical racism, the list goes on. There are so many experiences that are unique to Black people or to Indigenous people that don't translate to other groups labeled under POC. In talking to Paige about BIPOC, she brought up the other big identity acronym that might come to mind. I see the, you know, the resemblance of LGBTQ2SIAA. You know, it's great that we have that rainbow of language and and, um, acronyms, but I hope that it's not a way for people to not talk about the issues and the identities related to those issues. Okay, yeah, let's talk about this. So if you want to be a stickler, LGBTQ is technically an initialism, not an acronym. And that means you pronounce it letter by letter, like with CBC or TVO. BIPOC is an acronym in that you tend to say it like a word, like NASA. Some definitions consider initialisms to be a type of acronym, but um, we're getting too pedantic now and I'm going to (laughs) stop. Thank you. (laughs) Getting into Paige's example, though, the LGBTQ initialism is a great example of what's happening with BIPOC. So it evolved from LGB in the 1980s to LGBT in the 90s. And then in the late 90s, early aughts, people started adding Q for queer or sometimes questioning. GLAAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, added the Q to their official media resource guide in 2016. And since then, we've seen tons of additions like I for intersex or A for asexual or ally. Um, 2S is another one. Um, That means two-spirit. The plus is for anyone else not mentioned. Which is 
great, but also has made it, like, the target of jokes sometimes, right? Right, yeah. People will kind of criticize it for being too complicated or call it, like, alphabet soup. I have to admit that I I have, and I've heard people very well-meaning say it and then kind of trail off as they've... (laughs) As they forget what letters they should be saying at the end. But I think it's a generational thing. Like, if just LGBT or LGBTQ was drilled into your brain at a certain age, it's like the one that you reach for. Yeah. But still, I mean, I don't think that invalidates the longer acronym or the intention behind it or the effort that you should be putting in to remember it. Yeah, just like BIPOC, people find it meaningful for there to be a letter standing in for their specific identity especially ones that experience prejudice or oppression in different ways, right? Um, I was listening to a Code Switch episode on BIPOC coming from the American lens, and they were talking about, like, should we add L for Latinx? Should we add A for Asian? Should it be, like, B-L-I-A-P-O-C? And it sort of reminded me of this conversation. It's like, at what point does it become so long that it's no longer an efficient acronym or initialism right. to communicate quickly? Like, that's kind of the point, right? It's an abbreviation. Yeah. <laughs> Paige also made an interesting point that, like, in a way, acronyms are inclusive of all these identities, but maybe don't accommodate the fluidity of identity. I don't know. Maybe people will disagree with this, but I almost see it as like a lineup of identities as if they exist in separate boxes. Here's Paige. Um, you know, an example is uh, here in Yukon, we uh, we had a rally uh, in solidarity for uh, Regis Korchinski pocket. And a lot of people were saying, oh, yes, of course, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous Lives Matter, but we should put BIPOC Lives Matter. And again, it was this this even the, the concept that Regis was Afro-Indigenous just didn't compute with people. And so with BIPOC, it's like you can only be black or indigenous or POC, a person of color, but you can't be a mix. So Regis Korchinski Paquette, if you don't know, was an indigenous black Ukrainian Canadian woman who died in May of this year after police responded to a 911 call. Her family have come forward and accused the Toronto police of playing a role in her death since. Officially, the Toronto Police Department has been cleared by Ontario's Special Investigations Unit. But the incident sparked a lot of protests against police violence here and around Canada. Right. So in her case, BIPOC is totally accurate, but maybe broader than it needs to be to some ears. Mm -hmm. Just like POC, BIPOC can lose some of its power because it includes too many people. Like her Black and Indigenous identities are relevant when you're protesting police brutality, right? And it's just as easy to say Black and Indigenous. Mm -hmm. I feel like my instinct on this is that if you're referring to one person and you know the labels they use, a term like POC or BIPOC isn't necessary. Like, you don't need an abbreviation when you can be specific. Mm -hmm. So there's also an alternative to BIPOC that we haven't mentioned yet, which is IBPOC, Indigenous, Black, and People of Color. Most of the time I hear people say it like I just did, IBPOC, but some people will say IBPOC too. I'd never actually heard IBPOC before we started researching for this episode, just BIPOC. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit lesser known, but popular on the West Coast. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. I spoke with France Trepanier, the co-director of Primary Colors or Couleur Primaire, an arts initiative that aims to put Indigenous art at the center of the Canadian art system. And she's a proponent of this term. 
from my perspective as an Indigenous person and for a lot of Indigenous people, um, the term BIPOC didn't seem to quite reflect the Canadian reality. Um, recognizing, um, you know, the history of slavery in the United States and the presence of Indigenous people as well. Uh, BIPOC fits maybe uh, that reality better. But we felt that in Canada, uh, placing First People first, placing Indigenous people first, was a better reflection of, of the, uh, the history and the makeup of this country. So like I said before, anecdotally, I felt like I'd heard IBPOC more in B.C., and BIPOC more living in Toronto. So I did a bit of digging into this on Twitter, and I found that, this is interesting, the earliest reference to the term BIPOC in a tweet from anywhere in the world is from 2013 from a Toronto account called Grind Toronto. Seems like it's a now-defunct sex-positive event organization, and it was aimed at including queer and BIPOC folks. And the earliest use of IBPOC on Twitter is from Harsha Walia, a Vancouver-based activist and writer. So they're both Canadian. Yeah, I'm surprised that they both came from Canadians. Although we were, we were talking about when we researched for this episode that BIPOC seemed like a newer term for Americans than Canadians. Yeah, and I feel like I've been hearing this word for two or three years at least. Yeah, at least. Me too. Yeah, it was really interesting to discover that Maybe we're ahead of the curve on this in Canada, which is not usually the case. It never happens. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I mentioned my observation about West Coast, East Coast differences between BIPOC and IBPOC to France. And she had a really interesting theory on why IBPOC might be more popular out West. The colonial project in in Canada, in the Americas in general, was was certainly in Canada, um, was a East to West project. Um, and, you know, it took a, a longer time for um, Europeans to arrive on the West Coast. And by the time they've arrived on the West Coast, I think that the nations here had time to prepare. They saw them coming, so to speak. You know, <laughs> and they had time to, to protect the language. They had time to protect their culture. Not all of it. A lot of, of the, the, the regalias and the artifacts were, were stolen. Um, but I think the impact of the colonial project is felt quite differently here. Um, that the presence of indigenous uh, cultures, people, nations, iconography for sure, and, and languages. The, the, the languages are alive here, which is not the reality, let's say, in the east of Canada, where you know they suffered uh, 400 plus years of colonization. And this could also reflect, you know, the populations or the histories of the different provinces. But I think her theory is really interesting. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, So we've talked about BIPOC or IBPOC, but there are so many other words that serve similar purposes. Umbrella terms that try to group racialized people all together or in specific groups. I mean, there's one of them right there, racialized. Yeah, which I feel like we've seen used a lot more recently. Yeah, like with any of these words, there are pros and cons, but we've been using racialized in this episode because it contains in the word itself a recognition that race is a construct, which I like about it. Like when you say racialized, I feel like you're saying that through colonialism and through white supremacy, racialization is a process that has happened to these peoples. Mm -hmm. But I have heard accounts where people don't like that word so much because it has the passive voice rather than the active voice of, like, actually naming race. Yeah, like someone 
was racialized is racialized, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it still remains one of the better options here. Yeah. In fact, the Ontario Human Rights Commission uh, has opted to use racialized person or group instead of more outdated terms like racial minority or visible minority or person of color or, <laughs> worst of all, non-white, right? <laughs> Nationally, though, visible minority is a big conversation in Canada. So that one's been used since the 1980s Employment Equity Act to describe anyone not white, not Indigenous in Canada. And this word has actually gotten Canada in hot water with the UN Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination twice, once in 2007 and again in 2011, where Canada was criticized for its use of visible minority on official documents, the census, etc. The issue being that, you know, it's homogenizing, it indicates that whiteness is the standard. Um, But even up till today, Canada still uses that term. God, we can't take a note. (laughs) Just take the note. (laughs) I know StatsCan has suggested they're, they're looking to modernize their language to stay relevant and has tested out some new language, which they uh, may or may not use in the 2021 census. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) I feel like the minority ones, though, are just so easy to get rid of because they're not accurate now. Like, racialized people are no longer a minority in so many parts of Canada. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you mentioned before the term diverse is often a (laughs) stand-in for (laughs) black or for a more specific term. But I think it's always kind of funny to call a person diverse because (laughs) you can't be diverse as one person. And then there's underserved or equity-seeking, which can refer to racialized groups, but also like gender, sexual orientation, disability, and so on. Underserved feels like grant talk to me, like nonprofit talk. (laughs) Yeah, same with priority groups. Equity-seeking just makes me think of a shark tank. (laughs) (laughs) What? You know, they're seeking equity. (laughs) Oh my god, Karina. You need to stop. Uh, All right. Okay, so these are all absolutely well-meaning terms, but, like, the ones that we've mentioned, they definitely have this less human kind of government-y feel. Mm. It starts all getting a little too precious, I think, for me, and also vague. And BIPOC can have that issue, too. Like, if you didn't know what it stood for, you might not know that BIPOC even refers to people. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet it does serve a purpose. Like, obviously, it's been popularized on social media. It's a really useful shorthand in a tweet or a post. And if you're talking about forces like white supremacy or larger injustices in a, in a broader way, BIPOC is super useful. Mm-hmm. But when it is possible to be specific, that's usually the most respectful route. It's never useful to say BIPOC when you mean black or another specific word that you're just shy to address head on. Yeah, the lesson is say what you mean. And this word has been around for, like we said, a couple years in Canada and has gained huge popularity this year. But just like so many of the terms we've talked about, BIPOC or IBPOC might fall out of favor. And maybe by like next season or the year after that, we might be looking back on BIPOC and have a totally different feeling about it and have a whole new set of words that we're using to talk about racialized people. Yeah. Well, I think we can leave it there. Word Bomb is produced by me, Pippa Johnstone. And me, Karina Palmatesta. Thank you so much to Paige Gallette, France Trepanier, Chris Creighton-Kelly, Colin Wolfe, and Emily Allen for their help with this episode. Our show is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territories of many nations, including the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, 
Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. You can follow the show at Wordbomb Podcast on Instagram and at tvo.org slash wordbomb. Thank you to everyone at TVO who makes this show possible. And thank you for listening. 